I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. So this is the second half of my conversation with Adam Nosel, and in this one we talk more specifically about tech and his role as the founder of Tula, which is a, a platform that seeks to help people truly connect and be human online and seeks to sort of overcome some of the limitations of how we've done things online and helps us to go into the future where we can make our digital spaces more wise. If you haven't checked out the first half of this conversation, go back to episode one and give it a listen because it really creates the groundwork for this one. It's all about how we converse and actually models a really beautiful way of having a conversation. We're calling it nurturing, nourishing conversation, which if you've listened to my intro for that first episode and you've listened to the episode, you'll have heard us say that a lot. But it also gives a really interesting perspective that leads into this more, I guess, quicker paced conversation about tech. Because it really does show and highlight Adam's values and his style and gives you a real sense for how this platform is different from the typical ones we use like Zoom or Skype, which are sort of, you know, platforms. Tula seeks to be something different and that truly comes from who Adam is, how he holds space and a considerable amount of training in hosting conversations and facilitating in a way that is truly skilled and truly beautiful. But this is also just interesting on its own. So enjoy this. And if you haven't listened to the first part of the conversation, go back and do that. I encourage you to, but you're in for a treat on this one as well. So enjoy this second part of the conversation with Adam Nosel. What are the opportunities that we have because we live in a more digital world? How, do, how can we connect better? And then also, how are we finding it harder to connect as human beings? How do we make the digital age human? What, what's interesting about the sort of evolution of Tula and probably myself is, um, you know, I've been showing up in this space and curious about this space for a number of years, way that precedes COVID, so, or, or the digital um, uh, transition that our society has made and um, what is interesting is to see the the relationship to my initial proposal that it would be desirable for us to learn to convene more in this space and initially it was because I I, I again there was a knowing that came in, in me that there was going to be events which led to the requirement of us to be in here more than what we were and I articulated that at the time as I thought there would be a confluence between like state-imposed carbon reductions it may have been wishful thinking uh, and um, uh, organizational uh, behavioral change around travel and so on and then so far collaboration would need a new forum essentially um and 
subsequently then what happened happened and um we, we did a big change into there but what was interesting was to see people's reaction to that previously where they they were like no like you can't create a level of trust in this space or or you can't meet with people in in there and the physical space is always better and there's there's I, i'm not going to stand and 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 use my words to disagree with that um there are elements of our physical environment that that are different to this one but in my experience the depth of which i've been able to connect with people in this space are part of that of which i can connect with people so i think what this is inviting us to do is to expand our perception of what connection is and where connection is and through what connection is um and and you don't have to look far to you know if you you read of like uh, past saints or uh, individuals or even some buddhist traditions and understandings of the world that actually you know connect we are all connected on some form or uh, beyond the medium of which it is whether it's physical connection or you know uh, and so on so and what i suppose what we are interested in with tula is how do we evolve that space so one evolve the space of the expectations that go into it but also our expectations of what meetings are for is is what i am interested in so if you look primarily and it was interesting like because i got called into a number of groups when the the big transition happened here because there was a a lot of the platforms were really struggling to cope because they had on mass people turned up it to them and you know i remember one of like frantically developers running around going we've got students in here that are able to mute their teachers and they're sitting laughing at their teachers because the teachers can't speak and stuff like that and you know and then also like really really uncomfortable situations of people who were not invited to these spaces arriving in them and uh, you know displaying behaviors which were really um challenging to 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 see and 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 all the other elements of that of people culturally being naive to this space just such as the the mistakes i've made sometimes about walking into temples and didn't realize that i had to take my shoes off or you know like the same sort of this new continent that we're meeting in now has is an emerging culture that we've to get used to but um and and the reason i'm saying that is what i'm what we're really focusing on is our expect expectation of what is possible when we meet so if you look at primarily meeting is something in most forms is a form of productivity or things to be done or you know and there's a in some places it's something to be removed now it's a way that we waste time and and, and things like this but we are trying to create a new expectation of meetings particularly around citizen assemblies and citizen juries or what's also known as many publics um which is um and you mentioned about you know our investors and that that came in actually what i feel is 
one of the most exciting things is they are heavily involved in a body in, in an organization and body of work called the New Democracy Foundation, which is actively exploring methodologies of how citizens convene. And you know, there's um there's different uh analogies of it of the process that they go through, but you know, one of them uh in then the middle zone you see loads of squirrels, you know, like in circles that denote how uncomfortable the middle stage of this meeting process is because it's where people are releasing their their expectations or sitting with other people's perspectives and and so on and um i think that's what i feel our digital platforms can do just now is they can hold conversations that have wider horizons so this is physical wider horizons literally you know uh, and um and I think given the the conversations that we're going to have to navigate going forth in our societies, in, in, in our humanness, I think this forum is going to be um, a really inclusive one that we can, we can lean on, not exclusively, but can form a big part of... Um, like almost like a humanitarian roundhouse for how we navigate the different the different situations we're going to find ourselves within. I love that humanitarian roundhouse because you talk about making digital public spaces wiser and I know that you recently encountered sort of the limitations of how we are currently talked about emerging culture on this new continent, this digital convening continent we're on, and the limitations of there's a host driving things and there's an agenda and you move on, even when if you were in person, you would be able to say, hold on, this conversation needs to be explored a little bit deeper. Can we have another five or 10 minutes? And you kind of, you can't do that when you're on Zoom or whatever, and you're muted. So do you want to talk about that situation of, um, well, I'll just pass it over to you because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think this is what we're we're spending a lot of time trying to design for is like spontaneity and emergence in this space, um, and the dominant design principles in this space essentially is we've moved boardroom culture and lecture theater culture into. A virtual medium you know and it's similar to the the situation when we created television you know and some of the first things we showed on that were televised radio broadcasts you know and it's like when we have a new way of doing things the the old comes with us um but yeah the 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 sort of the story you're referencing to was um so I, i was fortunate to be invited into a group um, of individuals that were gathering to to explore how we create wiser digital spaces, essentially, and and it was led by some of the individuals who were behind the creation of um, the documentary called the the Social Dilemma, uh, which is an interesting piece, and the individuals like Tristan Harris and Eli Parsner and, and, and others, there, there's many others um, in there. They, they, they were involved in creating this gathering uh, to explore this. So they, they invited urban planners, uh, 
they invited artists, activists, community developers, technologists, and um, and what was interesting was when it happened, and it, this was you. It was orchestrated by something, maybe not the host involved, but it took place two days or three days after the storming of the Capitol in America. And, you know, there was many prominent individuals in this group from these social uh, platforms that were there. And, um, for example, Facebook's Ethics Committee were there. And and there was a rawness. There was a, There was a an incredible rawness to the conversation, which for me is an invitation to say, this is confirmation that this is what we need to be talking about. And it's what we need to be serving at this moment in time. And, you know, one of the discussions we were having it uh, was about whose role it is to, to govern these spaces. So whether if it's just, you know, the, the private entities of Facebook or Twitter or Google, that they self-govern that, or whether it is, is it governance, is it which, um, you know, these individuals that hosted this gathering, they sat, they sat on in Congress when these platforms were being, were being held uh, to account at that time. And you saw just the dis- the discrepancy between how the knowledge of what these spaces are to to the, some of the the level of questioning that was being afforded to them. Um, but there was when this question came up, um, and this is my understanding as well. Is often these moments that you're meant to focus on arise through mechanisms that you can't fully understand. But this one triggered the group and. Um, and it was uncomfortable. It was it was very uncomfortable. And actually, what I think we should have done was lean more into that. But then there was, we've got the program that we need to keep. So we need to cut this short, you know. And then there's, we, we artificially introduce uh, a scarcity of time on those, in those circumstances. Um, and, and for me, we left that and many of the people left that situation thinking we've missed an opportunity there, you know, to discover something that we don't know just now, or we, we can't sense just now. But then at the same time, we, one of the gatherings we had in their activities was a, an artist led us in this where she coded zoom in such a way that meant that she said, I want you to look at the person to your right. And she coded it in such a way that, who I was looking at my right, I was on their right when they looked. So she created this, this coupling, this connection in here. And then she walked us through like a guided, essentially a guided meditation almost, where there was a recording of her just saying, um, I want you to think about where this person is in the world. And that's all, all you had to go on with what we are seeing today, you know. Uh, and we couldn't speak to each other. We could only see each other. And... She took us through and the depth of these questions increased, you know. So what is this person scared of? What are their hopes for their lives? You know, and what was interesting for me in that activity and is what I've noticed during like our time just now is our perception of the other within ourself is is really 
challenged just now. So we can we can project behaviors onto other people that we think are different to from our own. And then this other in that's taking place in the world is increasing. You know, an example of that was, you know, a study of a universal basic income where they asked individuals, would you still work in receipt of a universal basic income? And the large proportion of people said yes. But then they asked the same people, do you think other people would work? And they said no. A large proportion of them said no. Now that reality can't coexist because those other people are those people in those people's answers, essentially. Um, but this activity we did in that space, like, blew that away because you, you're you're really intimately with them. But where it fell down was you would long to connect with that person there and then. You know, you would want after that activity, oh, you know, we've shared such intimacy together, you know, um, let's like embrace or let's come together and speak, but the platform wouldn't allow us, you know. Um, and even the, the big thing that we, it's a very small thing, but it has a, a sizable effect on the quality of our conversations is, you know, in your gatherings where you get that, you've got 60 seconds until you've to return to the room. And you know, that's um, it's like the school bell, you know, the, the school bell rings regardless of whether you're at a eureka moment of learning or not, you know, and it, and it steamrolls over these things. And, you know, many of these features, when you add them all together, are not in servitude of emergence or human sponta- spontaneity or the ability to go, hold on, I'm not sure just now, uh, can we pause, can we come back and then and move back in, you know, um, because of the lecture theatre style of these of these spaces just now. Um, and that's where much of our work is focusing on trying to expand the culture of how we meet here. Because mm, I was going to ask, okay, totally agree. So what do we do about it? Or are we still in that uncertainty of figuring out how do we program this? How do we code this? How do we create this? Because, I mean, talk about the work that, what is Tula doing? How does Tula work? What is it seeking to do? So a lot of our attention is going on to like the the process of deliberation in this space, which is essentially how do you host a gathering of high complex of of high complexity so by that i mean you have multiple little groups talking about multiple different things at different times where there's agency between those guests that they can move around uh, interact depending on the needs of what's emerging for them or what is emerging for the group but at the same time still have the, the the art of hosting that's required of these processes to guide and steer it rather than just saying you will meet here thou and do this then and 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 write this there at this point so like our what we're what our focus on is like making choices around them so it's really quite wide our scope where we're asking questions such as how do we design for when these spaces don't work? 
you know so like when often you get dropped out or you come out is like actually how do you make that process easier and less onerous on the host so that we can focus clearly on there but then also how do we in these spaces make it so that the next time you meet in them they're more valuable than the first one so if you think just now when you have a zoom you know, essentially everyone is like a substitute teacher that is sharing someone else's classroom and they're not allowed to put anything on their wall or bring their own books in. And, and what we are trying to do is to create the, the ability to save our assets in that space. So to create different routines and breakouts that hosts and, and guests can take with them into their different spaces. So to hopefully amplify our ability to host each other. So we're, you know, we're, we're looking at making the, the process of exchanging meeting methodologies, the essence of how to convene easier for each other. So you may have been in a position at the end of a, you know, a facilitated group where you're the one left holding all the post-it notes, you know, or the, the flip charts from, from the day, you know, and, and often they get recycled. Um, but yes, how do we bring those essence <laughs> all the time? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think what's interesting about this proposition is when I look at what sort of the features we are prioritizing in here just now, you know. And there's this there's this movement towards introducing AI into these spaces. So you, you we spoke about me hesitating and pausing and and what we're at, what some propositions just now are using AI to in real time edit that out of people's communication or also that you can make a, a video and point the AI to say, can you remove the ums and ahs? And, and actually what I'm, what I'm thinking is it's, it's going to sterilize much of how we communicate in this space. And, we need technology that has been used to assist us in here, our connection, rather than sort of create some sort of monoculture of communication in here. So um, that's where much of our proposition exists in is, is designing for the intimacy of connection uh, as opposed to away from it. Because I guess that's probably an area where people do get anxious about technology when it does feel sterile. And we're told, you know, videos need to be slick and not have too many pauses. And and I've been thinking as we've gone through this, A, definitely going to split this into two episodes. It's just too juicy to run as one. But also the the pauses, and I'm not going to edit it because it's perfect as it stands because it's perfectly human. It's a real conversation we're having. It's not a produced episode. And there's so much value in that, in people hearing the pauses that are purposeful, the ums, the moments of thinking, mm -hmm. because they're, that's what they're indicators of. And as somebody who trains people in communications and coaches them all the time on how to get rid of your ums or speak as if you're not actually reading a script, I'm a fan of both approaches. But recognizing when they have their place, I think, is a skill that we don't have yet. It's very nuanced. And how do you not lose the humanity of mm. imperfection? It's Imperfection isn't 
always a bad thing. And we tend to just want to, I don't know, filter it out, screen it out because, you know, the, the limitations of some platforms that are all about showing your best life, your most produced, airbrushed, mm. glossy, happy life. Really, I think people are getting tired of that, though. So people are craving realness because we have to we have to find a place to be real. And we're all stuck online, probably a lot more. So to find a place of freedom rather than being somewhere we're stuck is just a great prospect. I love this. And I love what you're trying to do. So we've talked a lot about, well, we've talked a lot about a lot of things, but just the, I'm feeling very excited about the future of connecting online and of making online feel more of a public space and seeing what the brilliant minds behind a lot of tech innovation come up with next. So what do you feel excited about in that space? Besides Tula, just generally innovations or other things going on? Hmm. You've probably found me at a moment where I'm, I'm probably not that excited about innovation as such or the creation of the new as I am partly as I am as I'm excited about the the reinstitution of what we already know into these spaces you know so I'm I'm very interested in that and finding what that brings to these spaces um and I suppose that could be sort of shared around like some of our evolution of our concept of ownership towards these spaces which I find interesting and I think they're existing again like you know my last year was spent with meeting with a lot of investors and that was a very new a new sort of space for me and it was interesting to meet with like investors who are impact investors or they say that you know impact investors or sustainable investment or or, or things like this and what was also interesting to realize that there was people that hadn't changed their language of what they were describing they were but their actions were changing in accordance to that and there was a whole host of things in between where it was clear that some people were saying this and not doing it and and all this but what was interesting was seeing like a relationship to how we own things or a relationship to ownership was changing and that excites me um with that respect and also like i've i've worked i've worked a little bit with ai and with and only a little bit and worked a bit with blockchain technologies as well and what I did find interesting when I was in both of those spaces, um, because like what I will also introduce here is like my my professional career, if 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 I even have something like that, has it, it's very different. Like what its origins are very different to where it was now. Like I wor worked in outdoor education, community education, in those spaces, and then moved into. To technology around the Scottish referendum, in fact, because that was I was like, this is not. We can do better of how we speak to each other and where we speak and how we make decisions, and that was a turning point for me. 
but the the reason I'm saying that is when I was in with working with um, blockchain, particularly on using encouraging forms of fluid or liquid forms of democracy or voting, there was this understanding that, um, or this awareness I had that we were covering ground that we didn't quite have language to articulate there. But then at the same time, what we were also having an expectation of the technology that it was our savior, you know, that this this thing will be, the, this will solve it, you know, blockchain will will completely change how our, our financial systems and, and so on. And, you know, and now, you know, we've seen that there's mass speculation and inflation and cryptocurrencies and, and there's been theft and stuff. So all the same human behaviors have come into to, to those things. And one thing I was very aware of, and it, I think it is very prominent in, in how we try and communicate and what we try and do with Tula is that we're not rushing to find technical solutions to spiritual problems with in, in that respect um, and trying to hold a conversation that understands the value of both those approaches. Um, so I think that's what I'm interested in is when you see people that, you know, are innovating with interest in technologies, but are also enabling like a drumming circle to take place, you know, like which is a, a, an ancient form of gathering and communication of, of, of people that are, convenient and also like like other things like I, I happened there was a chance encounter we we were presented with potentially to um help it was the quake there was a leader of the quakers in in the in the united states when the transition took place they were then met with many people were their ways of convening before had been stopped by the state it said this this was not allowed but many, in my understanding at the time was many of their policies in place were were against the alternatives, you know, so it was not for meeting in spaces like this. And um, there was a possibility at the time, although Tula wasn't ready then, of, of help in that process. So, But I offered help um, in conversation rather than the offering of a platform. But what was really interesting from, from this lady was she shared that you know, someone asked her, well, what are your insights about our meeting technologies of today? And she, and, and she sort of said, they're nowhere near as sophisticated as those from the 1800s, you know. And, and, and what was interesting about that statement was it, it wasn't the, the, it, the arrangement of digital squares and, and rectangles was not inflated there. You know, I think we often, like, we do that a lot is we this new technology and, and it's endorsed, you know, in, in the startup community where you've to you've to inflate your sense of value and embellish your language to say this. But actually what what that conversation brought there was no, there's actually wonderful ways of con- convening methodologies around how we meet the purpose of our meetings that have value to us. And and when you add them in towards sort of digitally enabled democracies and, uh, or governance structures where citizens, you know, can now 
we have processes and methodologies of citizens convening and deliberating over an, a, an exp- of an expansive time to reach conclusions or consensuses to then um, con- uh, to distill that in a report to provide that to the, the systems of governments at the time in order to enact. The quality of our levels of agency now can can just massively increase and and similarly the diversity of our governance structures when you start um selecting individuals in it through random lotteries of who they're in rather than you know representation or or or, um the the modes of selection that we hold today you know and these are not new technologies they are technologies you know and and it's the integration and the 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 sort of bridge between that the 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 ways of knowing that have stayed with us for millennium and and then these advanced forms currently advanced forms of communicating that we hold with us today because what what we've to be aware of is what we are doing just now not very long ago would been considered magic you know like th- there was films based on this where people walked around with things in their you, you know and and that's incredible to be able to do and it's how we then yeah i think of that every we, yeah, we can see each other on, we've never mm. met and yet we're good friends. I go to the shop and pay for things with my phone. Yeah, we live in the future. It's crazy. But back to what you were saying about whatever you were saying before I interrupted I think you. That's what I get <laughs> excited about is not the pursuit of innovation, you know, the, the perpetual pursuit of innovation. Um, because in, in my experience, it, it typically tends to be the pursuit of selling something that can be sold is what innovation is rather than, well, what is needed now, you know, or, or what is required now. And I think in that space, there's a blend between this incredible emergence of communication that we have and also the acknowledgement and reverence of these age-old traditions of convening and... Um, like wisdom uh, holders that that excites me. That really challenges me in my languaging of this season and also, well, most of the languaging because a lot of what we are doing and we're talking about is rediscovery of valuable things that we've forgotten. And we've talked about instinct and intuition and uncertainty, so, yeah, I think that's a really useful one to flag and keep saying it's maybe innovative or revolutionary to rediscover indigenous wisdom or ancient wisdom in our, you know, you live in Scotland, so sort of ancient Celtic, Druidic traditions. But yeah, the value of that, because we've kind of chucked out the old, we always do this as humans, we chuck out the old and move on with the new and it's always forward, 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 when actually forward has gotten us where we are now and some of it's great and some of it's not Mm. so great. So it's a really good, just balancing point to make. Yeah. Rediscovery Mm. is as valuable as innovation. 
Yeah, and but there's also, I think, an invitation present that we could easily accept where we, we look back at in the past with nostalgia and we, you know, like, for example, I've seen that very prevalent today uh, in today's time where, you know, people are like talking about the office because essentially the, the office in many parts of the world is is dying you know it's you know it's people are not going back there for various different reasons but one because they found you know a better balance of living that they can they can sustain and control through these different mediums which are not exclusively available to everyone um but yet when i've heard conversations about that you know you you hear about people saying oh but the office is and you sort of inquire about it's like oh you know the office that's where all the trust exists that's you can only build trust in the office but when you lean into that and sort of explore it more you know you sort of go well you know i've worked in many offices where there was no trust you know and it it was toxic and it, it didn't work out and you know it but again it's it's easy for us to look at these things through yeah, rose-tinted spectacles almost in that. So it's not to say not to, but to be to be aware of that in our in our navigation, essentially, that we, we've got a tendency to romanticize what has been rather than be comfortable with being in the present. Yeah, you definitely see that, I mean, throughout history. It's not unique to now, but you see that in the romanticization of the good old days. And you're like, which good old mm. days? When people died at 35 and died of bubonic plague? Or the good old days when white supremacy was unchecked and white people owned black people? And You know, like, which good old days are we talking about? Yeah, that's mm. a really, that's a good check, a reality check. Remember Humankind have always inflicted suffering on each other throughout history. There's always been some good. There's always been some bad. So filter wisely. Oh, my gosh. This conversation has been as good as I thought it was going to be. Maybe even better. But we have ranged all over the place. We've invoked invoked ancient wisdom. We've looked back. We've looked forward. We've talked about the conversations we need to be having and how to have them. And hopefully modeled that well. So... Uh, People will be hearing this from episode two of two because this has gone so long and so well that I'm going to split it in two. So if you are listening to this one, make sure you go back and listen to the first episode with Adam because it has been a really rich experience. This is one of those where I'm going to confess I listen to my own podcast. So some of them I listen to them repeatedly because there's just so much to process and they get me thinking. And this is definitely one where I will go Listen to us, listen to you and your wisdom and the stillness that you bring and the just the space that I find in speaking to you. And I'll go on walks, listen to my podcast and probably find something new every time I listen to it. So Adam, thank you isn't even remotely sufficient, but I just want to honor and thank who you are and who you are in the world. And thank you for showing up today. Thank you for showing up in the world And I'm just so delighted to have had you here. So thank you so much. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts and head over to the Discomfort Practice Patreon page. 
For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can become a contributor and help us to produce this podcast and reach new people with the idea that discomfort is just the edge of change, the edge of our superpowers, and the edge of changing the world for the better. Thanks to my wonderful team who helped me produce this podcast, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, Katrina Affleck for the original artwork, and to my co-producer Spencer Rausch. Let's all stay uncomfortable. Thank you.